Hello, hello. Welcome to Random Acts of Living. I'm your host, Emilia Nordhuk. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited about the story that I have to tell you. So let's go ahead and just dig right into the meat of it. Well, greetings from the RV in the middle of Iowa, in the middle of a pandemic, on this Thanksgiving uh, week in the United States. We're doing pretty good now. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess it's all relative for 2020, right? So now there's a new scale of, like, how good are you in relationship to politics and the pandemic and are you in a state that has this much um, positivity uh, for COVID that is Um, not just positivity like speaking positive (laughs) that would be really nice we should start that we should start that measurement right now Um, that would be great um, to have I'm all for that as we round out uh, this year But today, just with like all the politics and everything, I want to turn and tell a story about my, my heritage, my family, my ancestor, one ancestor in particular, because it's really important. I've been thinking a lot about it and maybe it's about, you know, being an immigrant and, you know, talking about voting and democracy and, and just how it's been. I've been conditioned that it's my right and responsibility to vote. And I think that is something that many immigrant families um, believe in very deeply. And, and I think it's one of the reasons why like, we all understand how like, messed up our country is. It's, it's definitely not perfect. We see it um, with very clear eyes. But... Um, you know, but we're very appreciative for the opportunities. You know, my father was the first person to, you know, finish high school and get an education and go to college. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot to be grateful for in getting to America and being able to start over. And, uh, and so I've been thinking about that a lot. That's when my thoughts have turned to my ancestor, my cousin actually, who whose family, my father's older sister stayed in the Netherlands. The entire rest of the family came over, but um, but she stayed. She was married or getting married and then she had four children. Yes, four children. Three boys and a girl. And, um, and so this is, this is that story, what happened to, um, the oldest cousin, Edward, Edward Julius Ogman. So why I think this is important. And one of the things that living in Hawaii and working with native Hawaiians and understanding native Hawaiian culture is that every time you meet somebody you know, they ask you about your family, you know, they need to put you into perspective of like, what, what family do you come from? Like, what's your background? Like, how do we know each other? How do we trust each other? How do we move forward? And I always found that really interesting. And, and yet I didn't have a lot of um, information or understanding, you know, past my family 
heritage, um, you know, from the moment my grandparents, like, you know, immigrated to the United States. So I know there had been some work done um, by different cousins and um, one grandmother had done some work for her family lineage. So, you know, I was, I was anxious to kind of discover that, um, dig deeper into that. And so then I did have an opportunity to go to the Netherlands in 2014 and do some work through this really great program that I was a part of, um, a fellowship. And, and part of the work that I did was to actually work, work on becoming a better speaker <laughs> and, um, and taking some programs in Amsterdam around that. And then also, like, I really looked into, uh, looking up some family that were, that were still there that I hoped were still alive. And I did meet a couple of people that were related to my grandmother's, my father's mother's side of the family. Um, and so that was really neat. And then I discovered this information about Edward. So what happened was I had some time in Amsterdam and I decided to go to the Dutch resistance um, museum. It's a great museum. I highly recommend it. If you ever get to Amsterdam, it's absolutely fantastic. It's interactive. It's really, really informative. And the Dutch really love <laughs> the, the resistance. Um, if you talk to anybody, they're just like, oh yeah, we're like, we are so much better than the French. Well, anyway, we, won't, we can't get, we're not going to get into that. It's not a competition. Uh, resistance fighters are great, you know, pretty much everywhere. So, especially during World War II, especially against the Nazis. So I had known, the information I had was that my cousin had been, had died in a concentration camp, but that was all anybody had ever been able to tell me or find out. My dad didn't have any information. My grandfather said he never had any information. So, so that was it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to be a detective. So I went to the Dutch resistance museum and I had his name and I had his birth certificate. I had a copy of his birth certificate. So so I said, uh, yeah. Um, and thankfully the Dutch speak English. Yay. <laughs> really well. Well, the younger Dutch, the older Dutch, as I found out, like my, my relatives don't speak English when they're in their eighties, they don't speak it. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was nice. Uh, a little bit, uh, resentful for my grandparents not passing on, um, Dutch to my parents and then to me, but I can, I can problem solve that. I'm taking Dutch lessons. Duolingo. Thank you. Um, anyway, so, so I go to the Dutch resistance museum and, you know, I ask them if they can find this information and, and they give me, they put me in contact with someone who can help. So it's kind of like, you know, it takes, because nothing is easy when you're trying to find somebody who's been dead for almost 70 years. So, uh, yeah, so we like, you know, go through like all of this like bureaucracy and red tape. And so finally, I get to the people that I need to talk to in order to request information. Now, so this is interesting to me is that no one had requested information on my cousin at all in that 70 years. So until a relative requests information from this arm of the Dutch government, they can't request information 
from the German government for the records around his death. So the moment that happened, they were just like, wow, thank you so much. We really like to get this information, but we can't request it without having a family member request it. And no one had ever done that. So that made me kind of sad that that for some reason his mother and his um, siblings had never had never gotten that information. And, and I don't know why, maybe because they had already known what happened and things were chaotic after the war. But, you know, I guess we'll never know. It will be one of those mysteries. So anyway, so I request this information and then they start working with the organization in Germany who can release those records. Oh, man. <laughs> so then it starts to get really interesting. So I get the death certificate. I understand that he um, died in 1945 in January. Um, he was just 21 years old. And, um, and that they didn't really have any records of his capture and trial. So but what they were able to find out, oh, and he died in Nuremberg, um, in the concentration camp there. And, um, and they just said like he was sick and he died. That was it. Um, but I had a little bit of information. Um, we were able to find out where he was originally kept. Um, and I received a copy from, from them. Of, um, so he was in Emerlo was where he was originally um, found and put into prison in the Netherlands. And what they had was a copy of his dental record, which is super creepy. I can just tell you that right now. So, so I have that. And then I was, I was just kind of digging and asking for more information because they said, you know, there was a brother too. And this brother was also captured and they're like, oh, yeah, well, what's the brother's name? And I'm just like, well, I got it right here. The brother's name is Willem. And they're like, oh, okay. So they looked it up and they're like, all right, this is really weird. We have an entire dossier on William. <laughs> Willem, sorry. I was like, what? So they had the trial. So what begins to unfold is Willem Bogman is captured first and he's arrested for creating false documents. So he had several copies of false documents on him at the time of his arrest. And, and he was, you know, and he said, Oh, well, these are just like, you, you know, I'm like holding these for somebody, you know, something and they hold him for two months. So they hold him for two months. And then Edward is captured. And within a week of Edward being captured, captured Willem is released so the and they're so the, the very kind people in these research institute institutes are translating all this for me and they're like okay this is weird like this never happened that you know you the germans captured two kids essentially because um Willem was like 18 and at the time uh edward would have been 20 and they were like, so it captures these two guys who are with the resistance, who have false documents on them, who are obviously like 
up to something that the Germans would have considered nefarious and against um, <laughs> against their best interests, and and yet they let them they let one of them go. That's weird. And so we're all like, yeah, that is weird. I'm gonna dig some more, and I do have to dig some more and figure out what happened um, with that. Unfortunately, that cousin. Um, although he was living in New York, passed away in 2003. So, um, yeah, but there's some more detective work that needs to be done on that juicy story right there. So, unfortunately, Edward is not released, and he is sent to the concentration camp and, um, and dies. And for me, like, what I, bring, what I take back from this is that because I'm an activist, I'm a community organizer, you know, I work for the people, like this is the, this is my, my work that I do. And where I find this like great connection is with this young man who, who gave his life to do the right thing. And, and he was my relative, he was my ancestor, he was my cousin. And, uh, and that fills me with pride and I'm really excited and happy to be connected to somebody like that. And it makes a lot of sense that I was like, Oh, this is why I do the work I do because those values were ingrained in my family. You know, not everyone fought the Nazis, not everyone fights authoritarianism, not everyone <laughs> stands up for democracy. So I think that it's, it's a really good, way of gauging like how how those values are ingrained within um a family's values and how even though they're you know they've traveled over the ocean and come to a new country those values are still instilled in my family and passed down from generation to generation and to me that's inspiring and i love that and i love that story and I love that I was able to find him. And so what I did was I read the story in the New York Times about a German artist who was doing this project called the Stepping Stones. And what he would do is you could request to have a stepping stone put at the place of the last known resident of the person who was killed by the Nazis. So he would say, here's, you know, this person was born, this person died. In the concentration camp, they died, and this stone, this bronze stone, is placed in front of their house, their last known address, because for him, he thought, well, it's, you know, it's nice to have a memorial, like, where somebody died, you know, but then you'd have to go to this concentration camp because so many of the people were killed there. But what if we put this in front of where they lived and regular people who walk around every day today still have to remember this person. They have to look down, they have to read this, and they have to think that person lived here, they were a real person, and they lived in my neighborhood. They were a member of this community, and then they were taken from this community. And I just thought that is such a great idea. So in 2018, yes, 2018, we were able to get that done. I went through all the process. My cousin, his last known address was in The Hague. We had it because thankfully 
the Dutch are incredible record keepers. <laughs> so that's why I have all this information from my grandfather on down. So it was great. So I went over and I met um, the cousins. I, he unfortunately didn't live long enough to have any children, but um, his other siblings did. So I met, um, I think they're my third and fourth cousins. And, um, and that was great. And we're still in touch with each other and it's family. It's family. And now I feel that he'll always be remembered. And I like that a lot. And I have a place where I can go back and I can see the house that he lived in and I can be a person who remembers him. So, so there's a lot to be graceful, grateful for this year and every day gentle listener we just have to pay attention to it thanks for listening aloha thank you for joining me and if you found this interesting or provocative or maddening well leave me a review and tell me about it drop me a line let me know some of your stories and thanks again for joining me i look forward to talking to you again Have a great day. Be well. Stay present. Aloha.